Good morning. Thank you, Mark. Well, do you ever feel insufficient? Amen. Thank you. Right out the gate, we have at least one. Do you feel insufficient when you think of yourself as a minister of God? Do you feel inadequate when you think about the work of the gospel? Do you feel weak and unequipped to share your faith with others? Do you feel like you lack the strength to serve people? Do you feel that you lack the right things to say to people or lack the right words to pray for people? Do you feel that you lack what it takes to be a blessing to others? Or what about other ways of ministry, the things that we might regard as the the normal, everyday things of life? Do you ever feel sufficient simply to perform the daily grind? Do you feel weak and insufficient to simply wake up and serve your family, to make breakfast, to change the baby's diaper, who probably leaked through again, to teach your children, to go to work and be a faithful employee? Do you feel that you lack the strength to simply love those closest to you in life? Or when you consider your calling, and this is, I'm deviating from my notes a little bit here, but I'm just impressed again with this this morning. When you consider your calling in the body of Christ, you know, I, I used to tremble. I, I, there's, there's, when, I, when I used to share my, my feelings of inadequacy with Josh, you know, maybe you know, I was tasked to preach or something, and I just felt overwhelmed. And, and Josh would remind you, pray with me, and say, I thank you, God, that the callings of you are irrevocable. And I trembled at that. I'm like, but I'm not sufficient to do the calling. I'm not sufficient to do the thing. Why not? It's like I felt like God stuck me in this this position where I couldn't deliver. He gave me a task but didn't give me what I needed. Well, if any of these items hit home with you this morning, I want you to take heart. Because you're right to feel this way. You're right because in ourselves we have no power to do any of these things. We are insufficient. We really are inadequate and weak and powerless to serve God and to love one another. We have no strength in us. We are not sufficient for the work of the gospel, no matter how small the task may seem. However, the truth that I want to encourage you with this morning is that through the blood of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he has made to dwell within you, you have been made sufficient for all of these things. There is a power working in you that makes you sufficient and fit for the work of the gospel. To love others, to serve others, to read and understand God's word and to share it. To pray with expectation and boldness. To call an unbelieving world to repentance and into the riches of Christ. To encourage your brothers and sisters to do all the things that I believe Paul sums up here as the spreading of the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere you go. It's a power that does not come from us. It can't be explained as any human ability or strength. It's a power that comes only from God. And one thing that I believe cripples the church in our day, and the reason I think this message is really important, or why I needed it at least, is that we seem to lack a real, basic, effective understanding that the Holy Spirit is really inside of us. And that really means something about our qualifications to minister. The reason I think this is a problem, again, is simply because of my own experience. I experience this kind of crippling thought very frequently. 
I, I think of, again, I'm deviating from manuscript, but we, we sang this morning the this, this song that, you know, God's not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. And my wife may remember this. We had a very fiery talk one time. I don't know why it became this fiery in the kitchen. You probably remember this. Where I'm like, I don't like that song. Because it's saying that the proof for God's existence is in me, as if it's as if it's right here, as if it's I, I'm it's it's the burdens on me. And I said, no, no, no. The proof of God God's existence and His work is out there. It's not in here. It's out there. It's look into the world and see all that God is doing. That's the proof. Don't look at me. Look at His word. But what what truth was I missing there? How is God at work in the world? It's through us. His power is coming through me, roaring like a lion in me. And that's a very important distinction. So in some sense, yes, he's out there. But he's out there by being through here. I think very often in big, general terms about the power of God, I delight in the truth that we have a God who is sovereign and powerful enough to perform all that he has planned since before the foundation of the world. We have an unshakable confidence that God is in control of all things and that the gospel is on the move in the world. But when it comes down to considering my own personal role in how God actually carries out his will in the world, I feel wildly inadequate. It's like I'm content to be on the sidelines and cheer and clap, and I do cheer and clap as I watch all that God is doing out there. but I would never consider myself strong enough to get in the game. When Paul asks the question in verse 16 of chapter 2, who is sufficient for these things? I'm very quick to say, not me, God. Not me. And in a sense, we should say that. That's the answer Paul expects when he asks that question, as we're going to look at. But what God aims to show us here through the words of Paul is that all of us, no matter what our calling in the body of Christ is, have been made sufficient for it by the blood of Jesus, to get off the sidelines and get into the game. Christianity is not a spectator sport. All of us have been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, and in him we have received the Holy Spirit and been made sufficient for ministry, not by our own power, but by the power of God at work in us and through us. One of my favorite big-picture promises in the Bible is in Habakkuk 2, verse 14, which reads, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. The promise here is that the earth will be filled. It's not a question of if it's going to happen. It's a done deal. Victory is certain. It's going to happen, period. But how's it going to happen? How has God ordained for it to actually come to pass? Paul tells us pretty clearly in the first verse of our text this morning. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see that connection? Spreading the knowledge of him everywhere. It is through us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Last week, Josh spoke about the ministry of reconciliation that we have received. And today, I want to simply reinforce that not only have we received that ministry, but we've been made sufficient for it. You have been equipped for it. In Christ, God does not give us the mandate, but without, or withhold the means. 
When, when God says his callings are irrevocable, he doesn't just leave you out there on your own to figure it out. He empowers you by his Holy Spirit to deliver. He equips us for that which he has called us to do. And I want you to be empowered this morning by the knowledge that you are not a sidelines Christian. You are part of a royal priesthood called and equipped for the service of God in the new covenant of the blood of Jesus. If you never come to the realization that God has made you sufficient through his blood, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be his hands and feet in the world, then you will not be his hands and feet in the world. Or at least, not to the extent that you will be bold and joyful in it. You will always be stuck in some place of timidness and fear. A few months ago, in, in Reed and Cindy's life group, we were discussing the new heart that we have in Christ. And it was, I think it was Lana or Sherry, I can't remember who shared it first, but, but gave a great analogy that stuck with me. They brought up the caterpillar and the butterfly. And I'll summarize the analogy this way. A butterfly will never take flight as long as it believes it's a caterpillar. In the same way, you will not live boldly for the gospel as long as you believe you are unequipped for it. At one time, you really were unequipped for flight. That butterfly at one point had no wings, but no more. I want us to be a church full of butterflies who are conscious of the wings that we have in Christ, the Holy Spirit. These wings are from God, given that we might be led by God to fly throughout the world and spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So this morning, I'd like to examine three truths within this text before us. First, I want to look at chapter 2, specifically verse 14 to 16, and consider Paul's question, who is sufficient for these things? I want us to think about just how insufficient we really are for the work of the gospel. Second, after we've considered how insufficient we are by ourselves, I want to look at the arguments Paul begins to make to the Corinthians to explain how he and all of us have been made sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. And third, after we've, we've thought about our insufficiency by ourselves and our sufficiency in Christ, I want to look at what Paul has to say about the proof of our sufficiency. And then to close, I want to discuss just three brief applications. Now, I'll preface by saying that I had originally planned on preaching today specifically on chapter 3, verse 7 through 18, and focus on comparing the glory of the old covenant and the glory of the new. You know, Josh, when he asked me to preach, he asked if I would preach on the topic of the glory of the new covenant. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. That's some great verses right there. But as I really began to, to meditate on this chapter... And, and understand the context of which Paul brings this up. The reason that he brings up the comparison of the Old and New Covenant is to support the broader point he's making about our sufficiency to be ministers of the New Covenant. Um, and, and it became clear to me in the past couple of weeks that this was the message that God had for us this morning. At least I know it's what I need. So rather than deal with chapter 3, 7 through 18 in an isolated way, I thought it was crucial. We go back and see those verses in light of the overall point the Holy Spirit is making. And to do that, I think we have to go back to chapter 2, verse 14. So if the Lord allows, I would love to preach a part 2 of this message where we can look more exhaustively with the, the latter half of chapter 3. But our focus today will be mostly on 2.14 through 3, verse 6, about there. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to give just a very brief background of the text, as I think a little context is important to follow the flow of Paul's thinking. Now, this is the second letter Paul has written to the Corinthian church. 
And in this letter, he deals with certain opponents of his in Corinth who have begun persuading the people to question the legitimacy of Paul's ministry. They begin to question his credentials as an apostle. And among other things, Paul goes to great lengths in this book to explain his apostleship, how it was given to him by God, how he has suffered for the gospel, and ultimately he he closes the book warning his opponents that if he has to, he will exercise his authority as an apostle when he comes to them again. But in this portion of scripture we're looking at today, Paul explains how the power of the Holy Spirit reveals that his power of ministry is not from him, but it's from God. So here we go. I invite you to read along with me. Chapter 2, we're starting at verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And then he interjects with a question. Who is sufficient for these things? Now, what are the these things that Paul is referring to in his question? What is he asking exactly? Who is sufficient for what? He's referring to the list of items he just gave. So let's, let's read through a couple of those items again and just apply his question. Who is sufficient or who is worthy enough, who is strong enough or able enough to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere they go? Who is sufficient to be the aroma of Christ to the world? Is there some kind of perfume that we can manufacture to do this? Can I wake up in the morning by my own strength and say, Today I'm going to spread the gospel. I'm strong enough. I can do this. I'm going to make people Christians. Does anyone have that kind of authoritative power? Do we have the power to get the gospel into people? Do we have the power to produce disciples of Jesus on our own? And the answer, of course, is no. Have you ever thought about what transpires when someone comes to Christ? I mean, if you thought about what actually happens in them when they come to Christ, think about your own coming to Christ. The prophet Ezekiel, when he foretold of God's saving act in the new covenant, in Ezekiel 36, he said this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Who has the power to do that? You? Me? Can you melt the heart of stone or put in the spirit of God into a person? No, of course not. Only God can. He's the one performing the work, not us. Paul describes his conversion later, I'm sorry, he describes conversion in 2 Corinthians later on like this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember that creation act of light back in Genesis. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian today because God made me one, right? He shined his light into my heart. I'm a Christian because he did a decisive creative work in me. No man had the power to do these things. He transformed me into something I wasn't. Paul describes in Ephesians 2 that when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. Now hear that. I was dead in my sins. I was dead. I wasn't alive, but just a sinner. I was dead. 
And when Christ saved me, he made a dead man come to life. Only God can do this. So we return to the question, who is sufficient for these things? The more we consider how amazing the work of the gospel is, the more intense that question becomes. Who is sufficient for these things? Clearly, no one but God is sufficient. No one but God is sufficient to spread the knowledge of Christ. No one but God can perform the work of the gospel. So point number one, if you're keeping score, is this. We are insufficient for the work of the gospel. Only God can perform the work that the gospel demands, which is raising dead people to life, performing spiritual heart surgery, and giving his spirit to people. To think that we could ever be sufficient to spread the gospel by ourselves is to think too lightly of our own salvation, to downplay how depraved and helpless and lost we really were in our sin. Nothing less than a miracle of God is needed to produce a Christian. So the next question then is, what does that mean for us? If only God is sufficient to do this, how in the world can we be made sufficient as ministers of this gospel? If this work is ever going to get done, God is going to have to do it. So how would we ever possibly be a part of this ministry? Well, we've established that the work is all God's. Only God is able to spread the knowledge of the glory of Christ. But how does God choose to do that work? I already alluded to it earlier, but let's look again at verse 14. Read it closely and God will tell us. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So God is the one spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, which is vital because only he can do it. But he's doing it through us. We are the means by which God does his work. This is amazing, but how, how does this work? We're still insufficient vessels, right? We're still, you know, we're still not up to this. How, how does this work? Well, the short answer, I think, is found in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where Paul says, and this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. This is not me, right? This is the Apostle Paul. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. It's really that simple. God makes us sufficient vessels for ministry. He takes insufficient vessels like us and makes us sufficient by his spirit. Now, notice that Paul doesn't say that we have to do something to become sufficient. God makes us that way. It's all from God. Our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient. I want you to see this morning that this sufficiency to minister is a part of your identity in Christ. It's not a negotiable part of being a Christian. Being sufficient for ministry is part of your identity. You have been made sufficient to be a minister of the new covenant, whether you believe it or not. There's no such thing as an insufficient Christian. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, God addresses us as priests. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
He doesn't say that we have the opportunity to become a priesthood or that some among us will become priests. Rather, he says you collectively are a priesthood. It's part of who you are in Christ. You are a priest in the new covenant order of things, empowered by the Holy Spirit to declare the excellencies of Christ. Don't make light of this truth. Don't make it a light truth. I really want to emphasize this today. So point number two, God has made you sufficient to be a minister of the gospel through the blood of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. God has made you adequate to be used as a vessel to spread the fragrance of Christ wherever you go, whether in the home or the workplace, in the grocery market, or in the church. God has given you the strength needed to spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere. Whether you're out for a jog, whether you're a world traveler like Jim Jordahl and you're in Abu Dhabi, whether you're visiting strangers in the hospital all day like Karen Wittron, God has made you the aroma of Christ to spread the fragrance of him in these places. Now, there's one clarification I want to make, which I think is important to see this right. While we are made sufficient vessels for the work of the gospel, it needs to be understood that God is still the one doing the work. God did not turn the work of the gospel over to us and say, okay, guys, here's your orders. Here's your sufficiency. Get her done. I'll be back in a few thousand years. Check on you. That's not how he did it. No, God did not turn the work of the gospel over to us. Rather, he does the work through us. Paul helps clarify this, I think, in several of his letters. In Philippians 2.13, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So notice God commands us to work because it's him working in us. We labor obediently, but in the comfort that we are not the force behind our labor. God is accomplishing his work through us, through our work. And that should be an encouragement to work very hard. Colossians 1.29, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Again, the power of Christ at work in us. And then finally in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul compares his apostleship to the other apostles. And he says, I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Again, God's work in us. And I think this is important to understand because if we're not clear on this point, I think, at least I, I feel in, in my own heart, I, I've experienced this, that we can fall prey to err in the other direction. On the one hand, we, we need to know that we are sufficient ministers for the new covenant. And we need to know that in a vibrant way, which I think is what I've been trying to convey so far. But if we focus too hard on that, we could also begin to feel that the success of the gospel ultimately depends on us. And in a subtle way, we can become deceived back into thinking that all the work rests on our ability, which will crush us because we don't have that ability. And I want this to be a great encouragement to you. God made you sufficient, but he didn't make you God. If God was calling you to be the one 
to reach into dead men and pull out hearts of stone and put in new hearts, then you would find yourself still very insufficient. Charles Spurgeon gave an analogy here that I found very helpful. Um, As if anyone's ever read Spurgeon, just his use of analogies is just so edifying. But he used the metaphor of telegraph wires. You see those wires which pass along our roads? They are nothing but dead metal. Are they sufficient of themselves to spy out what is happening in the capital of France and to report it here? No, not of themselves. Yet that unconscious wire is quite sufficient to accomplish the transmission of news from Paris. Information is obtained and the wires flash the message under the sea to our door. The wire is quite sufficient, though not sufficient of itself. The Lord uses us as his telegraph wires to to communicate between himself and fallen men. And we, by his almighty power, are made to convey to them the truth with power. It flashes from our heart and tongue to the ears and heart of the man whom the Lord intends to bless. The words which we speak are not ours, but the words of our Lord who said, The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And I think that's helpful. Come to see yourself as a holy telegraph wire made sufficient to carry out the work of God in the world. But the work itself belongs to God. You are sufficient to carry the message, but the message is from God and he controls its outcome. We aren't the ones who perform the heart transplant of bringing people to new birth in Christ. But God may well delight to use us as a scalpel. Scalpels that have been sterilized by being washed in the blood of Christ and sharpened by the Holy Spirit, made ready to be used as adequate tools. I'll use another another analogy. And again, I want you to be comforted by this, that while we are all able-bodied sailors working aboard the ship of the gospel, made able-bodied by God, by the Holy Spirit, God never gives up control of the helm. God doesn't want us to be burdened to think that the success of the gospel depends on us in the ultimate sense. Rather, we are simply empowered to be faithful workmen. God will bring the ship safely to its appointed destination. He will see his work done. And our mission is to put up the sails. Put up the sails and make the ship, or allow God to take the ship wherever he wishes to take it. So I want you to be free of those two extremes this morning. Be free of the view that you are powerless to be a minister of the gospel. But also be free of the view that the success of the gospel falls squarely upon your your shoulders as if its success hinged on your ability. That's not the point. Both extremes, I believe, would lead us to a place of crippled ineffectiveness. But if we get this right, I think we're led to a place of boldness and rejoicing. So we've looked at the fact that we ourselves are insufficient for the work of the gospel. We've seen how through Christ we are given the Holy Spirit and made sufficient as ministers for the gospel. But now now I want to ask the question, what's the proof that we are sufficient for the gospel? How can we know that we've been made sufficient? We still need to be able to show some credentials here, right? We need some letters of recommendation from somebody. Have you ever been at a bookstore, or probably nowadays more often, you're on Amazon, and you're considering whether or not a book is worth reading? 
What's one of the most natural ways to make that determination? You read the reviews. Or you flip the book over to the back cover and you see who's given this book their recommendation. And chances are there's a few names that if they pop out to you, as they'll look like credible sources. And if you see one of those names on the book, then you're more likely to read it or to maybe accept it. But if you see a bunch of names you don't recognize, you're going to approach it with a certain level of skepticism and might look for another book altogether. So letters of recommendation or reviews, they can be helpful in life, right? I mean, I, I don't buy hardly anything anymore without researching reviews on Amazon. They help us gauge the credibility of something. So in, in a very natural sense, they're very helpful. Well, this is what the Corinthians want from Paul. Show us your credentials, Paul. We've got all these super apostles coming into town, and they're on the New York Times bestseller list, and they've got five-star Amazon reviews. What do you got, Paul? Well, let's look at the last verse of chapter 2 through verse 4 of chapter 3. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, or your hearts, other translations say, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. So where are Paul's credentials? They are written on the hearts of the Corinthians. It's like Paul is saying, hey, if you want to see my credentials, go look in the mirror. I came to you not by my own power. I spoke in Christ, and by the Spirit of God, he worked something through me. And the Spirit of God did a work in your hearts and came to dwell in your hearts as well. So don't look at me asking where my credentials are. God did it. Look at your hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. I love that. There's his proof. Because Paul's sufficiency came not from himself, but from God, he simply stood back and pointed the finger at God. I came to you, Corinthians, and spoke to you in the power of Christ. God saved you. God freed you from your sin and placed his spirit in you. God's work in you shows me sufficient as a minister of the gospel. It wasn't my work, but God's. So in the new covenant, God doesn't write letters of recommendation with ink. He doesn't make us fit for ministry through some external qualifications. We don't need a theology degree. We don't need a college education. We don't need to wait for someone to write us a, a good review. We don't need a thousand likes on Facebook. God makes us sufficient from the inside out by placing his spirit in us. The work of God's spirit in our hearts stands as our credentials to be ministers of Christ. Notice Paul says in verse 2 that, the, that this letter of recommendation, the spirit's work on the people's hearts, is a letter to be known and read by all. Well, how does that happen? How do people read the work of the Spirit on our hearts? It comes through our actions. 
As we walk in the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit, and this fruit is the evidence of God's work in us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Again, identity. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as we walk in the Spirit, the light of Christ, or we might say the fragrance of Christ, will be impossible to hide. The Spirit's work in our hearts will be visible and read by all. There is no deodorant that can hide the scent of Christ on a Christian. So the third point for today is this. The Spirit's work in our hearts is the evidence that we have been made sufficient by God for ministry. Now, as we close this morning, I want to share three brief points of application to help us see these truths at, a, at the ground level. And there's a lot more than three that I would love to go into, but, but, but three that I think would be especially relevant this morning. Number one, recognize that you are equipped to bless the church. God has empowered you by the Holy Spirit to be a blessing to all of us around you. Paul said in chapter 2, verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. That's us, right? That's the church. And among those who are perishing, to one the fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. So your church family are among those who are being saved. So you need to understand that you are the aroma of life to them. You are the fragrance from life to life to me, to those around you. You are God's vessel to be a minister of more and more life to your brothers and sisters. This goes for all of us. And I'll just, I'll just, as I was thinking over this, just testify to a few personally. Mike and Susan are the aroma of Christ to me. The way Susan loves on my children in the younger Sunday school class is rich with the fragrance of Christ. My children leave her class and I can smell it on them that they've been loved with the love of Jesus. The way Mike goes low to serve all of us in ways that are largely unseen fumes with the fragrance of Christ. As you leave the auditorium today, if you were to go smell the rugs, you might smell the scent of Christ by Mike's faithful vacuuming. At least I think Mike is the one who usually does it. But, but really, those are, those are just simple examples. I think of Jim and Kathy. They've been the aroma of Christ to me in in a number of various ways that they've helped Aaron and I. Barb and Gary are the aroma of Christ to me. Did you know Gary spent almost three days helping me paint the interior of my house? Almost three days. And the first day, I expected him to be there to help for a couple hours. Um, But to my surprise, he kept coming back again and again until the job was done. And I was just stunned by that. I'm like, I, I was overwhelmed by that, that level of unexpected help, by his commitment to help me through the task until it was finished. I couldn't have done it on my own, and as we painted, the, the air permeated with the fragrance of Christ to me. Gary's faithfulness to me was, was just reflective of Christ's faithfulness to me, and, and it was just a powerful ministry. So much so that if you were to ask me, what does the fragrance of Christ smell like? I might tell you it smells something like paint fumes. <laughs> now, I could go on and on 
with example after example of personal ways that so many of you have been and continue to be the fragrance of Christ to me. Um, But I won't. It is God's spirit among us that is producing this aroma spreading effect. This is what life in the church is. This is what it looks like. Each of us being the sweet aroma of Jesus to one another. So don't give in to the lie that you are unequipped to be a blessing to the church. Number two, remember that Christ alone is what makes you sufficient for ministry. Now this point kind of goes without saying as it's kind of been the main thrust of the whole message, but I want to state it again. And a really cool passage that I think highlights this is found in Acts chapter 4. Now when they, the Jewish elders and scribes, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Do you want to be bold in ministry? Then let it be obvious to people that you have been with Jesus. Number three, and I think about this largely because of um, you know, just our prayers for Luke over the last, last few weeks. Don't think that because you are ill or going through hardship that God has stopped leading you in triumphal procession. And I draw this point from the first verse of our text. And I, again, I think it's important to bring up right now because we have, we have several beloved brothers and sisters among us who are very ill. And if this describes you, then I want to address you specifically. While we pray expectantly for your healing, be encouraged that you are still the aroma of Christ and God is still leading you in triumph. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And again, remember the man who was writing this. Paul was a man who has been through extreme hardship, but it was precisely in his hardship that God spread the fragrance of Christ through him. In fact, when we look around at the world today, just look around you now, we see that the gospel continues to spread throughout the nations as a direct result of the Apostle Paul's suffering. Paul even indicated in in Galatians 4 that the reason he preached the gospel to the Galatians was because he was detained there by a physical illness. Now think about that. Have you ever been in the hospital and had some opportunity to share the gospel? Have you ever been in some disastrous situation and through that, God worked wonders? The gospel was spread as a direct result of the Apostle Paul's sickness in Galatia. So I encourage you not to view your illness as an unexpected detour from the work of the gospel. But rather, know that even in sickness, you are spreading the fragrance of Christ. Joyfully look forward to that moment when God shows you everything he was doing in the midst of your illness, when he makes it clear to you that he never once stopped leading you in triumphal procession. Hardships in life do not derail the work of the gospel. They serve the work of the gospel. The gospel train never runs off the tracks because it's being driven by a master engineer. As we were gathered for prayer last Wednesday, um, crying out to God to heal Luke, um, Josh made brief mention that, that the Spirit was writing new songs into Luke's heart. And uh, I'm overjoyed that Luke is here today and, and sharing one of those. And uh, I look forward to that Sunday morning when Luke is fully healed and we stand and worship with him singing these very songs or this very song that, that came out of his suffering. But, but think about just today, like, did it not bless you? Was it not the fragrance of Christ 
to, to sing a song that exalted the sovereign king in control of everything? Did it not bless your heart to see a, a suffering brother pointed to Psalm 23? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It didn't stop. It didn't stop when Luke got sick. All the days of his life, even now, goodness and mercy are following him. And I think we can all testify just today that through it, the fragrance of Christ is emitted from Luke. So let that be an encouragement. So I encourage you to leave this place today confident and emboldened, knowing that you have not only received the ministry of the new covenant, but that you have been made sufficient in Christ to carry it out, and he will see it done through us. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name. We rejoice that that you are mighty to accomplish all that your hand has prepared from before the foundation of the earth. And God, you, you make it happen through us, your church. God, you have, you have washed us by the blood of Jesus. You have freed us from sin, from the penalty of sin, from a life of sin, and you've given us real life in your spirit to be vessels that, that, that just are filled with, with perfume, the perfume of Christ to fill the earth with the knowledge of God, with the knowledge of our Savior. And God, what a mighty calling. And God, you say that your, your, your callings are not revocable, and God, we say amen because we know you are faithful to equip us for all that you have for us in order that your work might be done on the earth. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you for each and every person here. And God, I pray that your spirit would encourage them and and awaken in them um, boldness and and free them from the idea that they are are, um, somehow called to be mighty by their own power. But, But God, we are mighty through you. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.